My name is Ron Marshall, and I'm a licensed practitioner and founding member at Heart and Soul. And I'm honored to be facilitating our meditation experience this morning. This morning, we're taking the opportunity to immerse ourselves in stillness so that we may connect with the knower within, so that it may, it may be our guide during this time of change. So wherever you are, I invite you to make yourself comfortable so that you may be open to divine guidance. Know that right where you are, God is, and therefore it is safe and sacred space. So if you're willing, I invite you to gently allow your eyes to close and take this opportunity to relax and let go of all that has happened up until this moment. Join me in taking a deep conscious breath. Breathe in. And release with a sigh. Now give thanks for your breath as you gently allow it to return to its natural rhythm. Take a moment to notice the path that your breath takes through your body. While the path our breath takes like each of us is unique, every breath is part of the one breath, which is breathing us all. Let your breath be an ever-present reminder of your oneness with spirit and its ever-availability as a guide and source of inner peace, love, and clarity, regardless of outer circumstances. As we enter the stillness, remember to focus on your breath and I offer this affirmation as our guide. I have been that I have been. I am that I am. And I will be what I will be simultaneously.
I have been that I have been. I am that I am. And I will be what I will be simultaneously. I now invite you to return your awareness to the space that you're in. To do so, you might focus on your feet and notice and feel the support of the surface beneath. You might gently rub your palms together. Begin to expand your awareness and feel the space around you. And when you're ready, I invite you to gently allow your eyes to open. This completes our meditation experience. And so it is. Thank you for coming. Good morning, family. Welcome to Heart and Soul Center of Light and our virtual Sunday service. Today is Sunday, February 21st. My name is Sonia Russell. I am a licensed practitioner and proud founding member here at Heart and Soul, and it is my great pleasure to welcome you to our service this morning. I want to begin by making sure you know that our theme for 2021 is Adventures in Faith Rise Up. We are deep in our community read, which is uh, around the year with Emmett Fox. And we are inviting you to be with us in community and stay connected by following us on Facebook, subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, following us on Instagram and Twitter, and in any of the ways that you view podcasts. You will have an opportunity to give in community later today, but we would invite you to give anytime by visiting our website or texting to give. And to make sure that you have all of these opportunities to be engaged and any of the other things we have coming up, including uh, slides and videos, you can sign up for our recap by also visiting our website. And I also want to remind you that our community affirmation allows us to be steeped in gratitude. And we say it together, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. On Mondays, our practitioners are still doing our daily, excuse me, our, our conducting a book study of our daily read on Mondays from 6.30 to 7.15 p.m. Pacific time. And this is an opportunity to be in community and really just go deep about um, the read and the opportunity for it to transform our lives. 
On Wednesdays, Valerie Joy and David are hosting Imagining Justice, our opportunity to be steeped in the change we want to see in the world. This week, Let's Grow, a spoken word film depicting the polarizing struggle between black and white people in America. It will be followed by a discussion. And so we invite you to make sure that you are part of this by visiting heartsoulcenter.org slash imaginedjustice and signing in at 615 for meditation. On Thursdays, Tammy Hall is live via Facebook Live from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. And we, make we want to invite you to be in her presence. She is truly a virtuoso. We love, love, love Tammy Hall. We invite you to be there uh, and to tip generously. We're reminding you that you can get a pop anytime by visiting our YouTube channel to check out Reverend Andriette's Point of Power vlog. And we wanna make sure that you know that because we know that prayer works, we are deeply, deeply steeped in it at this point. And we have prayer that comes following service by about 10 minutes, as well as Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific. We also have a new prayer request line um, that you can call, leave a message for a prayer facilitator and someone will call you back. If you haven't had an opportunity to pick up your phone and have someone start praying with you, I invite you to get in on that. You can also email your prayer request to prayerandcare at heartsoulcenter.org. And because we are all about prayer, as I mentioned, we also have our heart and soul pop, our power of prayer for such a time as this. This is happening via podcast and you can listen anytime about a myriad of subjects and so visit anchor.fm slash heart soul center uh, to get in on that and I want to let you know that our heart and soul path the membership is coming and I can go on and on and tell you about why you want to participate but I'm going to let some of the family tell you themselves all right so on behalf of Reverend Angelo I want to invite you to consider being a part of our next path to membership experience. But to further entice you and to give you a little bit more incentive, we've asked some folks to give you some testimonials about what membership means to them. Membership at Heart and Soul keeps me focused on bringing forth a world that works for everyone. I'm in community with people who are doing the work and that supports me in doing my own work and I'm grateful. Uh, membership at Heart and Soul means to me uh, is a extended family that I can talk to, um, communicate with, uh, just be together um, outside of my immediate family uh, that, need, that helps me whenever I need help. Uh, they're there if, you know, even to feed me when I'm in and around. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just been a great, joy to be around the last three years I've been around, I've been here. What membership at Heart and Soul does for me, it allows me to be me, exactly who I am. Finally, um, I'm seen at Heart and Soul. I, it's a place where I've grown phenomenally. It's a place where I get unconditional love and support. It's a place like no other, and I've been here 11 years, and it's been awesome, um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So what, uh, well, what membership at Heart and Soul means to me is uh, an opportunity to serve and be served. Uh, it's an opportunity to be 
uh, a member of a family that is doing, um, I guess, uh, wonderful things in the world, doing what we can do to make this a world that works for everyone. Um, I, what can I say other than, you know, I love you, heart and soul. So for me, heart and soul is a, a rock. It is a foundation that has provided stability in, for my spirit. It allows me to venture out into the world and stand firmly in who I am and what I believe. Heart and soul really is, um, when I say a foundation, like I see a storm blowing and I see something that I can hold on to that gives me strength. It gives me, it uplifts my faith. It, it deepens my faith. And, um, and we, we, we heck a cool up in here. So we, we have a wonderful time and we have fun while we grow spiritually. So there you've heard it from members of our community, some of whom have been around the whole 11 years and some for less time. And for all of us, Heart and Soul Center of Light is not just a place to be, it's a way to be. And so we're inviting you to join us on March 20th, Saturday, March 20th, and Saturday, March 27th, back-to-back -back weeks for our Path to Membership experience. Come for the fun. Stay to learn what heart and soul is for you. What a blessing. Thank you, family. So I invite you now to allow yourself to be present in this moment. We are going to take time to make sure that we are grounded in our vision, that it is who we endeavor to be on the planet. And so we like to make sure that we are grounded in it. And so together, family, we are a loving and compassionate, world-class teaching and empowerment ministry. Through a consciousness of universal God presence, we release all resistance, separation, and fear. We claim our personal liberation and accept the eternal availability of joy, love, and abundance. Through our intention to be love and spread joy, we engender reflections of the same and more in others. Our ministry is a gift to the world, which expands through our practice and dedication. We welcome all people, and together we make a quantifiable positive difference on the planet. And so it is. <sighs> and so now, family, I invite you to find your breath. Allow yourself to be fully present in this moment. <sighs> Releasing the past. You can always pick that up later. Giving no concern for the future. This moment, right here, right now, this breath, this perfect moment is steeped with the perfection of God. God is all that there is. All that there ever has been is God. All that there ever will be is God. This moment is God, wholly, perfectly, and completely. I am one with the infinite power of the entire universe. 
We are all one with the infinite power of the entire universe. That which kept us while we slept and woke us this morning, that which rose the sun and brings the ocean to the shore, that which beats our hearts and circulates our blood. We are born of the infinite. Our skin is made of stardust. Without exception and regardless of appearances, God is working in our favor. I know this, I trust this, I rest, rule and abide in it. My faith is unwavering. And so it is from this place that I speak this word on behalf of my beloved Heart and Soul Center of Light community, knowing and trusting and believing in the divine expansion of our lives, remembering to remember that God is ever present, ever unfolding, ever available, and knowing, trusting, and believing that that goodness, that perfection is always available to us, closer to us than our very breath. And so I know that today and every day, we have the opportunity to remember God, to remember our lives as blessed, to know that we are healthy and well, and that divine health and wellness is ours, to know that we are loved and lovable, that we are seen and in relationships where we feel safe, where we feel heard, that we are abundant with money to spend, save, and share. And that we remember to remember God in all things. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the space that Heart and Soul Center of Light is allowing us to be our best, most glorious selves. I am grateful for Heart and Soul Center of Light showing up as a beacon of love and compassion and peace and understanding, world-class teaching and empowering. A lofty goal that we are always, always endeavoring to be at. I am grateful for our beloved sacred servants, those who give their time and talent whose sweat equity is real in this ministry. I am grateful for our ministers, our practitioners, our board, our beloved Reverend Andriette for her power, for her presence, for her unapologetic authenticity. I am grateful for the example, for the permission she gives us to be our very best selves. I am grateful family for this community and everyone that is a part of it here and I am grateful this day and every day for the good sense to be grateful and it is in my perfect gratitude that I simply release this word into the law I know that it is done and done well not only because I speak this word but because it is written on our hearts and so we allow it to be so now and forevermore and so it is
Just like you need to go, there is no need to worry, cause I am sending you light to heal you, to hold you, I am sending you light to hold you in love, I am sending you light to heal you, to hold you. I am sending you light to hold you in love. I am sending you light to heal you, to hold you. I am sending you To hold you in love. 
burning heart and soul, I am sending you light to hold you in love now and always. Thank you, Melanie Damore and Julie Wolf for that beautiful song that just, if we allow it, can live in our hearts with ease and grace. So look, y'all, we are still, you know, Black History Month is very special for heart and soul. And so here we go. <laughs> so again, reminding you of Matthew 22, because it is, it is foundational to all that we are talking about this month, frankly, and always. This notion of loving beyond ourselves and the people who look like us and act like us and seem like us. The idea is that we will love our neighbors as ourselves and neighbors just in this instance is everybody that there's no there's no separation there's no delineation there's no holding back it's it's all of that so we are in effect sending everyone love to heal them to hold them sending them love and safety i'm thinking because now i'm wanting us to to go back to a time, but I'm gonna have Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. kind of shine the light on our sense of what's essential for us to know because he stands in this particular quote that I'm offering you, in the refusal to accept that humanity is as ugly as what we have seen expressed that that's not the whole of it, no matter how awful it is. He says that, that he's unwilling to accept the view that humankind is so tragically bound to the dark night of the, the darkness, the shadow of racism and war, but instead that there is something more to us. And I believe that. that there's the, the, some would say it's optimistic. I don't care what you call it. It's faith. It's the sense that the day will come where each of us is living in unconditional love and that the collective energetic of that will have the final word for who and how we are. And this is important because our history is ugly. Our history is some messy stuff. So um, I want to talk today about the Underground Railroad. And I know what, what I realize is that, that we have a lot of different ideas about what it is. And I'm sure there's some people someplace that actually think there's tracks running. Now, here's what's true, is that once the uh, railroad tracks were laid, there were, there were those enslaved persons who hopped trains and made it to safety. But largely, folks were, well, well, we'll get to all of the ingenious ways because it would seem that there were those people who were enslaved who just said, I'm going to get out of here no matter how I have to do it. 
and off they went. And it included all manner of, of possibilities. So here's the thing. According to some estimates, between 1810 and 1850, the Underground Railroad helped to guide 100,000 enslaved people to freedom. Now, I have to say, you know, these numbers are, are a little squirrely. What is true is there has been a tremendous amount of research. So this number would be a good guess. But what we know is that there aren't going to be records. There's not going to be film at 11 of all of the people who got away or the ones who didn't and, and or the ones who tried and were caught. So we really don't have good numbers, but we know that out of the 4 million that were held, we, we can absolutely say 100,000 of them did make it to freedom. And so there was some there's some order to the way this unfolded. The conductors were the ones who, who were guiding the uh, runaways, the enslaved away. Then there were the places where they would stop and that would be stations. And the folks who you know, had the home or had the church or had the whatever the uh, facility was where where the enslaved could stay temporarily, they were called the station masters. And the fugitives, the folks who were on the run were called passengers. And once they were there, the code would be, I have cargo. Now, I recall several years ago, I was in Savannah, Georgia, and I went to a church there as a part of a tour. And what we saw was in this church, there were all of the posts that were a part of the building structure. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the bottom of those posts were holes that had been drilled. And what they told us was that was a stop on the Underground Railroad. And they would hold them are uh, the those folks who were the fugitive slaves? I, the language is weird. They were human beings who who said, "I'm not going to be enslaved by y'all no more," and off they went. And that's a legitimate position to take because you cannot own another human, except that these United States had laws that said that certain folks could. So uh, in this church, they showed us how. In the downstairs is where folks would be, uh, um, you know, put away so they wouldn't be seen or heard, but they could hear. So they could hear what was going on upstairs and could then, and they took us through a sense of how that would work. So, um, so what we know for sure is that there were, it was really not highly organized in that way. It wasn't like there were maps and, and uh, brochures or even the sense of that in any way. I, I know I'm making light of it, but I want you to know that there was nothing that really held that together. What we had were folks of, of all ethnicities or largely black and white freed folks or folks who had escaped themselves who now had a place or had the wherewithal and knew something. And then there were certainly what I'm going to call the white allies, who really get this idea of loving your neighbor, who at great risk. It is believed that since Pennsylvania was the first state to outlaw slavery, that it's because of the Quakers who were there. 
in that area. <clears throat> there were so many of them that, that it's believed that they kind of drove the politics, if you will, the culture. And so that's how it started. But they were really clear that their, their spirituality, their religion did not allow that. And they were conscientious about that. Eric Foner, Foner, F-O-N-E-R, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, uh, wrote the book Gateway to Freedom. And he uh, teaches, I believe, a professor at Columbia, I'm believing. But he wrote this book and others. And he seems to be the kind of go-to uh, academic around the Underground Railroad. And that here's what he says. He says, in appreciating all that it took um, to, to have the Underground, for anybody to get free, for as many folks as did, he says to us that it may seem difficult to believe that slave owners and hired slave catchers prowled the streets of Manhattan before the Civil War. That may not be that hard for us because we know about uh, David Ruggles and we know about others who, <clears throat> pardon me, who made their way. And we know that David Ruggles was right, right there toe to toe with some folks. So we have a sense of this that that what was happening was slave owners and slave catchers were walking the streets openly carrying whips and pistols and manacles in order to reclaim their property. And it really got sloppy because anybody could look like their property, I imagine. <clears throat> There's the saying that, you know, if you only have a hammer, pretty much everything starts looking like a nail. So if you have come from wherever you've come from, you have to bring back some folks. You pretty much committed to bringing back some folks, even if you don't catch the ones you came looking for. And that's the kind of idea that, um, that we're talking about. And I want to give you a sense. He says that fugitive slaves in the city were saying that they were being hunted like a partridge on the mountain that it was just straight up hunting season. So they said they would go into the churches on Sunday and just get folks. It was, and sometimes we don't talk about just how dark, just how objectionable, just how awful, how absolutely awful it was. Um, Oh, Lord. Um, so the kidnapping of free blacks and children occurred all over the Northeast. So it wasn't just a noble humanitarian enterprise, but a movement that significantly fanned the flame of sectional conflict and helped set off the war itself. So in 1850, you know that the Fugitive Slave Act was enacted. And what that did, we'll see before that, what you have is essentially states' rights. I think they called it um, uh, personal liberty laws. And what it meant was, say, Pennsylvania that had outlawed slavery, if, 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 if fugitive enslaved folks 
made it to Pennsylvania, even if they were found there, states' rights said you can't, if, they're, if it's a free state, anybody there is free. So you can't come here and say, not these people, not him, not her. He is, but not the rest of them. And, but that was such an upset because in the South or from wherever they had come, because there was slavery in the North too, so I don't want to just put it on the South. Um, what it meant was that there was that upset about, not be, about being there and saying, I know that's her. And it really being her and not being able to do anything. So the Fugitive Slave Act, of course, ensured that no matter where your property, as you claimed it, went, you had the rights to bring them uh, back with you or send someone to get them. And so what happened with that is it really, it really changed everything. And the reason they say that, that was the, that's what really helped to move forward to the Civil War is because those states where their law said everybody there is free were now at odds with the folks who, because of the Fugitive Slave Act, could not enforce their own laws. So now you have the regional fist of cuffs, culturally, if that makes sense. And so you really have a lot going on. What this helps me to know is we don't really know what, you, you see, I think we rush to judgment too often. Very often we, we look at the, the Fugitive Slave Act as horrible as it is, but it led to something. You, are you, hmm, I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say today, that, that, that as awful as it is, and every time I've heard it, I have an inner groan that is automatic. But now I'm like, wait a minute, that led to such upset that the northern states, they began to try to figure out what else. And it pushed the envelope in a way where something more could happen that I don't know would have happened otherwise. I don't know if you're really hearing me this morning, though. So look, there are, what also was a part of this was the, um, let me, let me, let me just set up here how, because um, I want to talk just for a minute about some of the kind of consequences to, um, to once the Fugitive Slave Act was enacted. Um, so I want to share with you about a man named Jonathan Walker. And Jonathan Walker was a dedicated abolitionist, shipwright and sea captain from New England. And he was He's famous for the unusual punishment that he received, and it serves as a good example of how far it would go. So here you have a white abolitionist, and in this particular instance, he, um, in this particular instance, he the punishment he received was because in 1835 he joined with someone to help uh, some escaped slaves. And um, I'm sorry, in 1844. So he took seven runaway slaves to the Bahamas is where they're headed. He built the ship himself, a whaler. And uh, what happened was he fell ill. And so the boat, the boat drifted for days, it says. And finally, 
he ended up in Key West, the boat did. And so they were rescued as it were, but he was imprisoned for several months and then convicted for, of stealing slaves. So he was sentenced to one hour in the public pillory, time in prison, he had to pay a court fine of $600. And he also, they branded his right hand with a double S, which stood for slave stealer. So there's actually online you can find if you choose, and I'm always suggesting that the little bit that I'm sharing that you, that you back it up and get, get more information and, and intend to be even better informed about, about how things were. Um, so he would, um, he became ultimately much like Frederick Douglass, we know, became an orator and spoke against uh, slavery. Um, and so, so did this man, Jonathan Walker. And at the end of every speech, he would hold up that hand. You know, and just uh, so. When we talk about underground railroad conductors, the most well-known, and especially at Heart and Soul, would be Mother Harriet Tubman. Who, uh, and but there's also a man named Louis Napoleon, an illiterate porter and window washer, they say, and I couldn't find any more information about him, but he is credited, or couldn't find much, uh, was credited with having helped over 3,000 fugitives escape from bondage. And of course, the indefatigable David Ruggles, who just, you know, he specialized, they say, in plucking slaves off ships in the New York Harbor which is where he connected with Frederick Bailey, who we know as Frederick Douglass, ultimately. And also in anonymous crowds of free blacks, he would, he'd rush in again to rescue fugitive slaves in violent street battles, because I've already told you, they were accosting anybody. And so he got right in there toe to toe, is what we are to understand about how it all happened. So there are, there are several places, like the home of Levi Coffin, that uh, is in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we begin to, to when you when you hear about the places where underground railroad stops were, stations were, you begin to get a sense of the expansiveness of the network. Network kind of implies more connection than than historians are telling us absolutely existed. But what it meant, and this fascinates me, what it means is, Frederick Douglass said this. He said in his autobiography that when he would see white people, he would believe that they were after him. Now, I wish that we had to imagine what that's like. I, I really wish I had to spend five or 10 minutes trying to convince you that that could be true for somebody. But unfortunately, the moment any of us who are in, I don't even know what shade, but anybody who identifies as black, or often, I'm sure other ethnicities as well, when you see flashing lights in the rearview mirror, you become a Frederick Douglass, essentially. And so I, 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 there's a part of me that really wishes that I had to stop and say, no, you don't know what I'm talking about, but imagine if you will, but unfortunately you do know. And you didn't live in the 1800s. So 
Lord. Once it became clear that slavery was not going to die a natural death, and that's many of the abolitionists were believing that, you know, with their efforts and with the change in consciousness and the more people they talked to, that that's what would happen. But instead, they, what needed to happen was the Underground Railroad to really have a system to get or a way for folks to get out. Now, because of the Fugitive Slave Act, there, became, there was no place in the United States where folks were really free at that time. You could be freeborn. And yet, no. In fact, there were those folks who then moved abroad who were free. But they knew that they'd never be allowed to prove it necessarily. Now, I'm sure there were instances when folks showed paper. And I always wondered when you'd see documentaries and, you know, reenactments and folks would show papers. And I mean, I just, the consciousness of some would mean they just tear that up. I mean, you could see that, but you know that there'd be some people that wouldn't. Let's be clear. Some people would look and say, okay, go. And other people would be, what papers? It's a certain consciousness that we're talking about here. So, so I want to share a few things because, you know, last week I talked about the Tappan brothers, Arthur and Lewis, and I spent the bulk of the time on Lewis, but the other brother, what I found in some of my research was that because of his, because of his uh, abolitionist work, there was actually, by somebody in Louisiana, there was a five, let me get it, $50,000, a $50,000 bounty on his head for just bringing him south. Because, you know, he was, he was in the east, he was in New York. But for whatever he had cost in interfering, because they did, they paid for court costs, etc., there was literally a 50,000 in the 1800s, mid-1800s, a $50,000 bounty if somebody could get him and bring him south so that they could deal with him as the interferer, if you will. Someone asked um, Mother Harriet, it said, at a time of uh, what, what do you think you'd feel? I mean, it's, it, it, it's hard to get the question out because you just don't know who would even ask this. But... Um, a biographer asked her about what if she was caught and returned to slavery. And supposedly, and let me say supposedly, because so many quotes that we have from that time are well-intentioned, but there is absolutely no definitive evidence that those folks said that. And it just was not, it wasn't the culture uh, to record it. And just some, some things don't seem like they would have come out of that spirit, but that aside, let me just say what is written. But her response was that she would have the consolation to know that she'd done some good for her people. Which says to us that she knew what she was risking, always. That it wasn't like some false sense of, of power or freedom or any of that, but instead that she, she knew what she was up to. I wanna share with you about John P. Parker who was born enslaved in Virginia in 1827. 
He's reputedly responsible for the rescue of nearly a thousand enslaved people between 1845 and 1865. He repeatedly crossed the Ohio River from his home in Ripley, Ohio, go, often going as far as 20 miles on foot to Kentucky to rescue fugitive slaves and bring them to freedom. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Everybody I'm mentioning put, was willing to put their own life on the line for humanity, for folks they didn't know. His activities were eventually known to authorities in Kentucky, and in the 1850s, a reward for $1,000 was placed on his head. And what's particularly interesting to me in this is that, and I always wondered about this, how do you really have an underground railroad in these communities? And what is believed, historians believe that folks knew. I mean, we read, and I've shared with you that David Ruggles Folks were stopping there. Well, that wasn't a secret. They knew that folks were going there. So I'm not sure I understand. I don't have a mindset, a consciousness for the 1800s. You know what I mean? So that I can kind of roll back in time and, and really get a sense of how that worked. But you know that at the farm down the way, you always see some kind of nighttime activity or the horses or the animals are doing something. So you know something. So, so my sense is that that we, we have to paint this with a broad brush. You, we can't just identify certain abolitionists and say them because there were some folks who just decided that their contribution was just not to say nothing. They just were, as long as it didn't, you know, I don't know what they're, where they drew the line or how they worked it out, but I'm really saying that we're more neighbors than we know that it's not as simple as looking over there and pointing at who does or doesn't because we don't know what else is happening. Um, I'm gonna have to come back to you another time with more about Parker because, oh no, I'm gonna have to tell it, I think. Um, that uh, essentially when he was enslaved, in fact, he says that his father was an aristocrat, one of the aristocrats of Virginia. So he's enslaved, but his father, was the enslaver. And so even though his father forbade it, some of his, uh, one of his children taught John Parker to read, okay? So he, was, he had a great appreciation, it says, for the works of Shakespeare and the English poets. So they taught him to read. I mean, he, they taught him something and then he read. Uh, just by his choices here. So ultimately, in the 1840s, he was apprenticed by a physician to be a foundry worker. But he persuaded um, one of the physician's patients to buy him, to buy his freedom. And so she allowed him to purchase his freedom from him, with from her, with the money that he made. So ultimately, he... Um, was uh, he opened his own foundry as a free man. Oh, there's so many things, so many things. Okay, William Still is the other conductor that is so well known. So it's certainly Mother Harriet and William Still who was played in the movie Harriet by, um, from Hamilton played Burr, Leslie Odom Jr. I had it all morning because I love his work. Um, so 
William Still is known. I want to share a particular story because he participated in the rescue of Jane Johnson, who had been enslaved, and she sought help from the society. Um, now, come on, Andrea, where's your note on the name of the society? I'm, uh, the Anti-Slavery Society, I'm believing, is the name of it. And here's what happened. So she's with her slave master um, passing through Philadelphia. He, the master has just been appointed US minister to Nicaragua. So they liberate her and her two sons and by, Philadelphia, by Pennsylvania law, she's free. But her master sued. He sued William Steele and five other African-Americans for assault and kidnapping. And this was a high profile case for 1855. Jane Johnson actually returned to Phil. I try to picture all this in my mind. She returned to Philadelphia from New York and testified in court as to her independence in choosing freedom because the case is that she was kidnapped, etc. So instead, she gives testimony that no, she asked for help, etc. And so uh, she wins acquittal for Still and four others and reduced sentences for two of the men, probably around assault. He also, William Steele, I did not know this, he challenged the segregation of the city's public transit system, which had separate seating. And he kept lobbying, and then in 1865, Pennsylvania, 1865, are you hearing me? In 1865, the Pennsylvania legislature passed a law to integrate streetcars across the streets, across the state. So he's often called the father of the Underground Railroad, having helped as many as 18, I'm sorry, 800 slaves escape to freedom. Here's the other thing that I need you to know about William Steele is that years later, he, um, he was the youngest in the family. And he, his, when his mother escaped from slavery, she was able to take, she had to leave the two older boys, I think they're like 12 of them or something, but whatever, she was able to take the younger ones, but the older ones not. So years later, 46 years after she escaped, he meets his older brother. Now one older brother was killed, but this one comes looking for help trying to find his mother and family. And William Still and his brother Peter, who's the one, who's, who's now, he's somewhat established there, but he's trying to find information. And William Still recognizes some of the stories. He realizes that's my brother. And they connect, and so Peter connects with his mother of 46 years. And I wanted to tell you that story. I felt it was important for you to know that because what William Still is known for doing is keeping records. That's what he's known for. And it was born out of that experience with his brother because he realizes that if he hadn't known some of that, he would not have even been able to claim his own brother and connect his brother with his mother. And he knew how important it was for these folks who had been so disconnected that if he could keep records and what he, part of the record was everybody changed their name. So he would, he would also keep, but what would, what would, what's the name they would know? so that there could be connection. And he hid them, of course, but that's an important piece to make those connections. 
Lord. So uh, I know I'm talking fast. I, I want to remind you that David Ruggles said words are nothing. Action is everything, and that's what I'm talking about, is the folks who stood, the of black folks, white folks, who stood at great risk and harm, not just threat, but actually experienced that. So the last two pieces. Um, no, I'm afraid I could only share one, sorry. I'm, I want to... I want to quickly just um, finish up with Mother Harriet. And I want to link it with um, what you see, what you will see on the screen is in Harlem, New York City, at St. Nicholas Avenue and Frederick Douglass Boulevard, is what is called the Harriet Tubman Triangle. And it's a beautiful thing. She is depicted, as you can see behind her, the, the photo on the left has, you. it's not easy to see, but those are the chains that she is breaking. And you see she's on the move. But those are the chains of slavery. And then on the front of her skirt, that's the reason I, and on the far right you can see a bit of that, right under the tree, connected to the rock behind her, those are the chains of slavery. And you see she is making haste. And then on her skirt are these masks with African faces. And so it's the Swing Low Harriet Tubman Memorial. And while you um, see that, I want to share something from, you, you know she's featured, I wrote a feature um, article in the February Science of Mind magazine. And just the little part that I want to share with you because I was struck by this, that a biographer picked up that, um, that speaks to the level of faith and her spiritual practice. She says that the biographer captures this, that, um, that she, her daughter, she had an adopted daughter was there and they didn't have any food. And um, Mother Harriet, she said, went into the closet to just sit still, hear me now. Just went into literally the closet to just sit still. And when she came out, she told her daughter, put the big pot on the stove. And the daughter questioned it, the big pot, but we don't, we don't have anything, you know? So she said, just put the big pot on and affirmed that there would be food. So she goes out to the, the market, which I'm picturing in my mind, kind of farmer's market-like, you know, where all of the vendors have stuff. And she said she would start with, at, at the close of it, where folks are really trying to get rid of stuff. So she bargains and manages to come back with some meat and some vegetables, and, you know, then she has something to fill that pot up when she came back with a full basket, knowing what to do. Uh, she would start by, it said in this, she acquired some meat, knowing she could trade some of the meat for some fresh produce. So I'm just wanting to, to remind you, to remind you of how Mother Harriet lived beyond beyond the legal, beyond the emotional, beyond the physical, beyond the mental constructs 
of what binds us all, that that holds us, that that we, but her faith never failed her. So there's something about going into the closet and metaphorically, you don't necessarily, unless you do, you know whether you need to get right in the closet for real, for real, or whether you can just be in the closet cloaked in the quiet and in your intention. But I often try to imagine how she was able to nurture a love so deep that she wouldn't stop, that she would risk her all to love her neighbor as herself. Thank you, heart and soul. Melanie Damore wrote a song, Mother Moses, out of her experience at Heart and Soul and the way that we claim Mother Harriet. And so I present to you now Melanie Damore with Mother Moses. I'm gonna stand like Mother Moses stood and keep moving on. I'm gonna stand like Mother Moses stood and keep moving on. I'm gonna stand like Mother Moses stood and keep moving on. Stand like Mother Moses stood. I'm gonna lead like Mother Moses led and keep moving on. I'm gonna lead like Mother Moses led and keep moving on. I'm gonna lead like Mother Moses led and keep moving on. Lead like Mother Moses led and keep moving on. 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 Lead like Mother Moses led. I'm gonna sing like Mother Moses sang and keep holding on. I'm gonna sing like Mother Moses sang and keep holding on. I'm gonna sing like Mother Moses sang and keep holding on. Sing like Mother Moses sang. I'm gonna walk like Mother Moses walked and keep holding on. I'm gonna walk like Mother Moses walked and keep holding on. I'm gonna walk like Mother Moses walked and keep holding on. Walk like Mother Moses walked and keep holding on. Keep holding on. Keep holding on. Keep holding on, keep holding on, keep holding on. Walk like Mother Moses walked. Walk like Mother Moses walked. Keep on walking, keep on going. Don't you give up, don't you give up. You keep holding on, you keep holding on, and you walk like Mother Moses walked. 
today's world especially, it's not easy to keep a center going. You know, often as a participant or a congregant or someone who's part of the community, we're not really thinking maybe about the electric bill and about all the many things it takes to keep a community together and growing. Some of you know that I am the founder of the Prosperity Plus programs one, two, and three, and I know that your center has offered these programs to you. I'm a deep believer in tithing. And we all have giving patterns. Many of us give actually only emotionally. We give when we feel like we have a little extra. And then there's another kind of giving that's a regular repeated giving that comes with a percentage to it. And if it's not 10%, it's 5% or it's 6%, but it comes out of a decision to have circulation in your life. Planting in a beautiful place like the heart and soul center of light for the growth of a community that you has nurtured you, can nurture you further, and more than that, can spread this wonderful message to a world that is deeply hungering, even if they don't know yet that they're hungering for it. So I invite us on this day to lean in and make a commitment for percentage giving over the next year. And then turn around every three months and take a look at what's happening in your life. Something happens when you're a regular giver. And each month as you're receiving your income, a portion of it goes to support. Uh, it changes the way you feel about yourself. It changes your level of expectation of good in your life. It changes your sense of worthiness and your connection with the very source of your life. Good morning, family. And so as Reverend Andriette pointed out in the very beginning of her talk, we have before us an opportunity to love beyond ourselves to love our neighbors as ourselves and to send everyone love and safety. And that's what we're about here at Heart and Soul Center of Light, putting our arms around everyone. And we do that through our giving. And at Heart and Soul Center of Light, there are many ways in which you can give. You can send a check to Heart and Soul Center of Light at 5627 Telegraph Avenue, number 405, Oakland, California, 94609. You can also give online, uh, setting up a recurrent gift or a one-time gift as you see fit um, at heartsoulcenter.org slash give. Last but not least, you can simply text the word give to 510 5849. And it's important that we maintain the right consciousness for our giving and thereby blessing our good before it is even given. So I invite you, wherever you are in the world, to just take your gift in hand and maybe place your hand over your heart as we bless our gift together. I bless this gift as healing energy and send it into the divine flow of all good. Infinite prosperity circulates through me, through my church, and throughout the world because I know God as source. Here to just remind you about how to continue to be engaged beginning with our around the year with Emmett Fox Review with our practitioners, I wanted to make sure I let you know the start time is actually going to be 6.15. We've had to make an adjustment because 
world-class teaching and empowering means we have all kinds of stuff going on around here. So 6.15 p.m. is when we will begin um, on Mondays uh, with Around the World with Emmett, Around the Year with Emmett Fox. You can visit heartsoulcenter.org slash Monday Review uh, to join. Imagining Justice happening on Wednesday with Valerie Joy and David Let's Grow, a spoken word film depicted and polarizing, depicting the polarizing struggle between black and white people in America, followed by discussion. That begins at 6.15 Pacific with meditation. Tammy Hall is live on Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific via Facebook Live. Make sure that we are supporting our sister and tipping generously because we recently moved. If you're considering a gift for our new church home, gift cards are a great idea at any of these familiar retailers. And we still have a few items on our original Amazon wish list, heartsoulcenter.org slash wish list. We are supporting Marcus Books, the oldest independently owned black bookstore in the country, as well as uh, delicious Jamaican cuisine at the town's gathering space, Kingston 11. Make sure that you're supporting both of these organization families. We want them to be around. Our youth and family has two arms. The Pulse, ages 13 to 18, meets uh, via Zoom at 11.30 Pacific time on Sundays. Um, you can email the Pulse at heartsoulcenter.org for access. And our youth and family village, ages 4 to 12, is still engaging in fun and meaningful videos um, that are asynchronous. Heartsoulcenter.org slash watch YFV is how you can access them. Our prayer and care village is making sure that we have a myriad of ways to access prayer because we know that prayer works. Ten minutes following the conclusion of our service today, as well as 7 a.m., uh, Pacific time on Wednesdays. We also have a new prayer request line. You can call 510-607-7747 and leave a message for a prayer facilitator to return your call. You can also email your prayer request to prayer and care at heartsoulcenter.org. You can get a pop anytime by visiting Reverend Andriette's blog on our YouTube channel. Just make sure you're liking it and telling your friends about it. It's a great way to spend five minutes of your day. And Heart and Soul has launched its Power of Prayer um, podcast for such a time as this. It happens on all the ways in which you access podcasts, but there are prayers for many different situations that we're just at, we're inviting you to be a part of and allow yourself to carry uh, prayer in your pocket. And I want to make sure that I am lifting up our Path to Membership experience. You can join our Path to Membership. There are two Saturdays. March 20th and 27th. You must attend both sessions in order to become a member at Heart and Soul Center of Light. And I want to remind you that our beloved Reverend Andriette penned the cover story of the February Science of Mind magazine, a story on Mother Harriet, and we want to make sure that people pick that up. Um, also, she has a monthly column from the inside out uh, that is featured in the magazine and we're inviting you when we tell you that we are world class we want to let you know that we are all over the world and it is my great pleasure to welcome back our beloved reverend andriette thank you sonia thank you and thank you heart and soul i just y'all know i appreciate from where i stand here all i can see are the few people in the room and they are busy doing their work um in order for us to have this broadcast. And so it makes a difference. I feel like there's a bit more of a connection when you let me know you're there. So I see you. I'm giving a shout out to Salvador, Bahia, Brazil, and Jaco, Costa Rica, and New York City, and San Jose, Costa Rica, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Jackson, Mississippi, Africa, uh, Spartanburg, 
South Carolina, Front Royal, Virginia. These are so many places where I've never been. I just begin to imagine our connection in this. Thank you. Detroit, Michigan, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Connecticut, Aurora, Colorado, Tucson, Arizona. Shout out to Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Salida, California, and the greater Bay Area, Capitola, and Sacramento, and certainly right here, our home commu expanded community, Richmond, San Leandro, Oakland, San Jose, Walnut Creek, Alameda, Union City, Berkeley, I see you, and I'm so grateful that y'all are here and that we are doing this thing together because it really is about healing all discord of every nature. And I don't pretend I know exactly how that's gonna happen, but it might include what's gonna be happening on Wednesday night at Imagining Justice, where they're gonna be doing a spoken word. For, I don't know, I don't know what you're, what's gonna open your heart and have you see your way. What I do know is that there is prayer that is available and it's available right after service, just as Sonia said, but I wanna make sure you don't miss it. And then not only is there, you know, time sensitive prayer where you must active proactively get in on that. And on Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m., you must do that. You could also call the request line and request prayer. Know that somebody will get back to you and that it's confidential. The only folks who do that who have access to your voicemail are the folks that we have certified, if you will, to be in prayer with you. So all of that is safe. You can email your prayer, likewise, the same thing. And then the new thing that is happening is that you can, at any time, you can do go to the blog and get prayer as well, which means that that's, that that's a more passive way. You just go there and listen to the prayers. They're magnificent. You can also see any of the power, point of power videos that I did. Um, and those are on YouTube and on our, also on our, you can access them through our website as well. But the po power of prayer is there for you. And I just say, get some, make sure you're handling that for yourself. Sending you, remember Melanie DeMore sang for us, sending you light. I'm going to add, we're sending you love and holding you close and inviting you in closer. And that's an invitation for you to look within and see whether membership at Heart and Soul is for you, whether you want to be closer and in community. No, hear me now, you are welcome to simply hang out with us forever. But for some of you, that's not enough. You know the power of belonging and participating in a committed way. And so I invite you to be a part of the path to membership. You must register and we will only do it if we have so many people. So get in there now so we'll know whether you are coming for that. It's of course virtual now and it's two Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Pacific time working all this out. So join us for our virtual path to membership. Again, you must register in advance and then you'll receive everything you need to know in reply via email. Um, and as Sonia said, 
the Science of Mind magazine. If you want to have an experience of that, you probably should move pretty quickly. I'm not sure how it is online and if that's forever archived or how that works, um, or if Barnes and Noble still carries it under current circumstances. I don't know, but if you want to have that, then I suggest that you get busy going online to, um, to get that as well. Oh, I'm just so grateful. So very, very, very grateful for how we are together, that we, that we know what time it is on this planet that we are committed to healing all discord of every nature. which certainly requires that we be able to live together on this planet, loving one another, not because we know each other and because there's a closeness and we can name, but no, this is a larger, deeper love. One born out of recognizing that there's one life, one love, one breath, one being, and that we're all experiencing it. That we're all living the life of the divine, the living one, the strong one. We are all breathing the breath of God. Even as the breath of God is breathing us, even as the life of the divine is living us, that we are literally in this love together. That love is truly what God is. And then there's how we come together in love, loving one another. Loving our neighbors as ourselves, expanding the circle. Oh, I know that there's so much good that comes out of us, opening our minds, opening our hearts, opening our sense of who we are and what is possible for us in a Mother Harriet kind of way, expanding it in a William Steele kind of way, seeing ourselves beyond any limitation. Knowing that our gift is sufficient just in the expansion of giving it more fully, of offering it more often, of accepting each other's gifts. Oh, I am, I know there's a healing going on. And that healing must begin within each of us as individuals and then be manifest as the collective healing. Oh, Father, Mother, God, I'm so grateful. So grateful for the energetic presence that we know as heart and soul center of light. So grateful for the space, not the physical space, but the space in consciousness to do these good works. To do our part towards a healing of all discord, of every nature, which means there's no point in trying to list different types of discord. Just know that our work at the level of consciousness is to neutralize it. And so I speak this word as an empowering word, as a directing word, as a word that absolutely breaks it apart. 
that it nullifies it, that it shifts it and changes it in such a way that it is the revelation of healing, of the discord in our own lives, in our own minds, in our body temples, healing the discord, and then having that reflected in the world. Oh, I'm just giving thanks. Giving thanks for the infinite possibilities. Giving thanks for the full potentiality for heart and soul to shift what is ours to shift, to heal what is ours to heal, to be who we are to be, to do what is ours to do. Oh, it is an absolute perfect gratitude for all that has come before, for all of the, the, the pioneers, for all of the, the, the the workers, the, the historical presence, the for everyone on whose shoulders I now stand, I know that I, we are lifted up by the ancestors who did all the work coming up the rough side of the mountain that we might stand right where we are, committed to making the difference that we are to make that I am to make, that you are to make, that we are to make, that all of us who are in this love together are to make, it's on us. So in gratitude and thanksgiving, I just let go and I let God, I release this word into the perfect activity of law. I am accepting it as so. I'm releasing it knowing that it's done and done, word, done well knowing that my word cannot return void. I'm grateful for the divine empowerment and I simply let it be. Now and forevermore, sealing this by simply saying, Ashe, Amen. And so it is. We, deep in my heart, <laughs> I do believe that we shall overcome.